Hi everyone, so this is going to be a bit of an unusual episode, but I thought it made sense to do it as a podcast because I'm going to use my voice and I'm going to talk about a vocal technique that could be used in psychotherapy or self-help. So as some of you may know, I'm a cognitive behavioral psychotherapist by profession and for many years I was a clinical supervisor, I ran a training school. And in the school that I ran, I trained therapists and counsellors and life coaches. We did seven-day, all-day-long intensive courses. And I was known for being a kind of techniques guy. Like I researched like, very widely in different modalities of psychotherapy and self-help. And I tried to extract all the different verbal, visual, cognitive, behavioural techniques that I could find in the literature and we got our students to practice them and I coached them we gathered feedback systematically so over the years I've tried lots of different psychological techniques and experimented um, in research studies and with clients and getting them to test out variations of existing evidence-based techniques and sometimes other things that can be found in the clinical literature and so on and tested techniques that people were already using. A big part of clinical practice is when someone comes into therapy, you ask them about the coping skills they already use. And often those are self-help techniques, which may be helpful or, or they might actually be causing problems. Now, the technique I'm going to teach you today is one of my favorite techniques because it's really simple and it's really tangible. And there's an obvious knack to it. So it's a classic example of a clearly trainable behavioral skill that I would say follows a standard practice curve. So for researchers, this is gold dust um, because it's easy to train, it's easy to observe, it's quick, and it has a very pronounced psychological effect, but there isn't any research on it. So I'm kind of hoping that one day somebody might be able to figure out a, a simple research protocol and just test out applications of it. So this technique, is used for quietening the mind, basically. And it's derived from an old hypnotherapy technique. Uh, it used to be called hypnotic aphasia, or aphasia meaning the, the loss of speech. And the technique basically, now this variation of it, just involves fading your voice progressively into silence uh, externally, um, audibly but also at the same time really imagining that internally your inner voice is fading to silence as well. Now, I think there's a knack to this, like, like clicking your fingers. Some people get it immediately. Some people need to practice and practice, and then suddenly, boom, they get their fingers to click. They get this technique to click. And then other people maybe won't get it at all. Like, they'll practice for a while, and they'll, they'll just never be able to get it. But I think most people either immediately or with practice, we'll be able to figure out how to do this effectively. So it's easy, it's largely audible. Like, I mean, you could look at me doing this, but there wouldn't be that much to see. Um, so you can hear it in my voice, very simply. I mean, I could be talking normally right now, and I could imagine that my voice is getting slower, weaker, and it's becoming more of an effort to speak and gradually sound of my voice is becoming quieter and fading into a 
and then I may normally close my eyes and pause and turn my attention inward and just imagine that I'm trying to pronounce a word or a syllable in my mind with my internal voice, but it's so tired, it's so weak, I can't even pronounce a thought, as it were. I can't pronounce uh, a word or a phrase in my imagination. And I imagine it kind of like there's a battery that's charge is running down until it's completely flat. Or that I'm just becoming more and more sleepy the more I try to use my voice. It's just a trick. It's a knack. It's a gimmick. Like It's a little strategy, a feedback loop that you're setting up for yourself in order to create this sense of your voice fading internally and externally into silence until your mind goes completely blank and quiet as well. So I could do it just talking normally like that. Or more commonly, I would get a client to count or say the letters of the alphabet. Or, you know, it could be the names of the seven dwarfs or the days of the week or whatever. It really doesn't matter. Um, but some kind of ordinal sequence is usually kind of makes sense. So if I was counting, I might go one, two, three. And then I'd kind of close my eyes and I'd continue doing the same thing internally. I'd maybe heave a sigh and relax and imagine that I'm trying to keep making the effort. But the more I do, the more silent and relaxed and empty my mind is becoming. And then if I was sitting in that silence or stillness for a few minutes, maybe my internal chatter would come back. And then I'd just do the same thing again, right? I think a mistake people sometimes make is they'll use a strategy like that once um, and it works for a little while um, and then they, you know, they kind of revert back to their previous state. But you could use the technique again, right? It only takes 30 seconds or whatever to do it. So I might use that technique. My mind would go quiet. Maybe my thoughts sneak back in and then I just do the same thing again. I just count again and fade my voice. Maybe I, I do it three or four times in a row, but it, it doesn't really matter. And what you'll generally find, because there's probably a standard practice curve effect, as we call it with this, is that each time you do it, it's probably going to become easier and it's probably going to work more quickly for you as well. In fact, you might find that you need to kind of deliberately slow the technique down. So you might find that you're starting to, as soon as you say the number one or two, that your mind is already going really blank. So you might need to make an effort to kind of string it out a little bit longer so that you can really get more into the uh, process or the practice. Now, I'm going to attach some caveats to using this. First thing is, I'm so excited about this. I've learned many, many dozens and dozens and dozens of techniques over the years, but I love this one because it's so simple and it's so quick and it's so kind of tangible. And um, it, it's a learnable skill. And it has quite a pronounced, it has a very obvious psychological effect. Your mind goes very relaxed and very blank. And so the most powerful drugs are often the ones that have the most therapeutic potential, but also could be dangerous. So, you know, sedative drugs, for example, are very powerful. And they can be very useful, but you can also overdose on them because they have a clear, tangible, powerful effect. And 
psychological techniques like this aren't really dangerous in that way. You can't overdose on relaxation. But we do have to be a little bit careful that people don't use these techniques in the wrong context. So I'm going to attach a caveat saying that particularly people who suffer from anxiety disorders, like severe diagnosable anxiety, like OCD or GAD or PTSD, um, a CBT practitioner would probably not recommend this technique as they could be using it as a form of what we call experiential avoidance or a way of avoiding encountering anxiety, um, which might sound odd to people that aren't familiar with clinical practice. Uh, you might think, surely we want to avoid experiencing anxiety, but it's often by avoiding anxiety that people perpetuate it. It prevents natural emotional processing from being able to take place and it, it causes some other problems as well. So I usually recommend that someone with severe anxiety doesn't use a technique like this as a way of avoiding the anxiety. However, you can use it for other things. And, you know, because it has such a clear effect, it, it, I think it has potential to be used probably in many ways that I haven't even thought of. And that's why I'm keen for people maybe to think about doing research on it. I also could be taught remotely as we're kind of doing now, which makes it like a godsend to researchers. But I, I do use it for insomnia. So I find if I'm having problems getting to sleep, like I will use this technique sometimes and it, it helps me to get to sleep. And then if I find that I'm kind of half awake again, I'll, I'll just do it again. Like, so an important thing to bear in mind is this kind of idea of, hey, I could keep doing this all day. So keep reverting back to the technique. You probably won't need to do it more than like three or four times. You maybe only need to do it once, but uh, don't do it once and then abandon it if you if you find that you're still awake or you know um, in another situation where you're trying to benefit from it. So that, in a nutshell, is one of my secret techniques, or it's a technique that I learned that I haven't really written about or taught but one that I really like and I use a lot myself and tend to teach to my friends because it's quick, it's easy, it's pretty robust. Like I say, I don't think this is going to work for 100% of people, but a rough estimate, I think about 90% of people should be able to get the knack of this uh, with a lot of practice and a lot of coaching. So have a go. Let me know how you got on with that. I'd be really interested to see your feedback in the comments. And Please share the recording with other people and, and see what they think about it, how they got on with the technique. And uh, yeah, interested to know if you think of any other possible uses for it.